1: this hour of the costa report is brought to you by ibm big data at the speed of business
2: welcome to the costa report I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military who are joining us today, particularly those of you who are tuning in from remote locations around the world over the Internet. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, Dr. Derek Chung will be joining us to talk about all of the scientific breakthroughs which had to happen to make cell phones, nuclear power, tablets, and space travel possible and more importantly, where technology is headed in the not-so-distant future. We're in for an interesting hour. You, you might be surprised at how a handful of visionaries, egomaniacs, and scoundrels change the way we live and work today, and who and Chung gives his top prize for innovation in 2014, too. But before Dr. Chung joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Derek T. Chung earned his undergraduate degree in electrical engineering from Purdue University and his master's and Ph.D. from Stanford University. Similar to many of the innovators Chung describes in his landmark book, Conquering the Electron, his career began as a scientist. He started in the 1960s as a research engineer at Fairchild Semiconductor, one of the first technology companies in Silicon Valley. Then in 1975, joined Rockwell Scientific Company as a member of the technical team in infrared sensor research. Chung rose to become the president and CEO of Rockwell, which was later acquired by Teledyne. But leading and overseeing the transition of Rockwell from a research and development laboratory to a major for-profit technology company was only part of the important role Chung was destined to play in advancing the frontiers of science in the areas of information sciences, semiconductor technologies, electro-optic devices, and high-performance infrared sensor technologies. In addition to acting as a consultant to the United States Army Science Advisory Board, he spent two years as the founding director of the Institute of Technology Advancement at UCLA. And Chung has more than 50 publications and eight U.S. patents accredited to his name. Today, Dr. Chung has become one of our country's foremost experts on the history of technology, as well as where our great tradition of innovation is headed. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program, scientist and author, Dr. Derek Chung. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Chung.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Now, you've written a history book about how humans conquered the electron and how that ultimately led to today's tablets, Internet, and cell phones. But what I found most interesting was the fact that some of the scientists responsible for these breakthroughs were in your words, scoundrels. So maybe you could uh, get us started with Morse and Sarnoff, for example.
3: Okay, Morse, we all know Samuel Morse. He is the inventor of the first industry based on electronic technology, and that is telegram. And we know Morse code, d d d it's Morse code. And turns out Morse, even though he invented the telegram, but he is a pretty nasty guy. <laughs> you
2: call him a nasty guy? What did he, what did he do exactly?
3: Well, he stole all the ideas from different people and never gave credit to them. He took it all. For example, the most code idea is an invention of his uh, partner by the name of uh, Veal. And so he took it and it all became him. And actually, every person he worked with throughout his whole career sued him.
2: So all of these people sued him because he stole their ideas. How about Sarnoff?
3: Sarnoff is a typical business tycoon, ruthless. In order to make RCA, that's the company he created to be successful, uh, he pretty much destroyed the life of uh, two very... Uh, outstanding inventors. One guy who invented uh, the core technology for radio, The guy, his name is Armstrong, and the other is the guy who invented television, the name of Farnsworth. Both of them almost, well, Armstrong committed suicide because of Sarnoff, and uh, Farnsworth become uh, mentally depressed all his life.
2: What did Sarnoff do to them?
3: Uh, uh, For example, Armstrong, he... He invented FM radio, yes. which sound quality is better than AM. So uh, Armstrong tried to sell the patent to Sanoff, but Sanoff didn't want to pay him and tried to develop his own. And Armstrong put all his money in to produce the FM radio himself. And using a frequency at that time was assigned to radio. But Sanoff is so clever. He influenced FCC at that time and changed the frequency allocation of FM radio to a much higher frequency band. So all of a sudden, all uh, all the radio products that Armstrong had produced became obsolete. He lost all his investment.
2: So he destroyed the product that Armstrong had put together by influencing the FCC.
3: Yes, changed the uh, allocation of the frequency and make all Armstrong's investment become down the drain.
2: Now, I think you also make the point that history has proven that Alexander Graham Bell, who we also hold in high esteem, he lied about stealing his invention from Gray.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. And so obvious today. And there was a book written about that. in great details. And Bell, he stole the eye from, from Gray and then cover that up, and he's been a liar all his life. Um, it's pretty sad, one of the heroes of our history. but It's understandable. When you read the whole history, you can understand why Bell has to do that. It's forced upon him by his future father-in-law. And in, o- in order to get permission to marry uh, his daughter, he has to do
2: this. Now, who are some of the other inventors that we have an incorrect impression of?
3: Uh, one person is Marconi. Marconi is the inventor of wireless telegram. And he did something great. For example, he's the first one who transmit radio signals from, uh, from Europe to North America across yes. the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, he's a great guy, but turns out he's a Nazi party member. He's not, not Nazi, he's a fascist. He is the one one of the major bankroller for Mussolini.
2: So he turned out to be a fascist, a fascist, and and took all the profits that he made from his invention to back Mussolini. Is that is that the backstory
3: there? <laughs> you know, at one time Maconi controls all the wireless communication in the U.S. and the Navy were very nervous about it, and. That's lead to the formation of a company called RCA, mainly to take the control back from a foreign fascist leader that control a very critical part of the, our nation's uh, security.
2: Absolutely. Now, what I found very interesting about your book, uh, Conquering the Electron, is that you give all these backstories of... Uh, people that we have elevated in the scientific community uh, to almost godlike status. you know they were they, they, right. they could do no wrong. But then as we're reading, we discover that uh, many of them were, as you describe, scoundrels.
3: <laughs> but on the other hand, they have done something great that impacted our lives. So there's a little bit of everything, in everybody. You know, a, a perfect guy, no, he's a bad guy for something, but he can do great things for for other things.
4: That,
2: that's so, right. And what I love about this is that it gives us a different appreciation for those people who advance science and innovation. What we discover is that uh, they're no different than anyone else.
3: Exactly, exactly.
2: yeah, was that did that exactly. come as a surprise to you as you were doing the research?
3: Uh, yes. Initially, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't have that angle in my thinking. But the more I read about them and sit down and think for a while, hey, these are just human beings. But they are in a certain area and able to help us.
2: There you go. Now we have to take our first scheduled break. When we come back, we're going to find out who the five most important innovators in technology are. You're listening to the Costa Report.
5: Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason. It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs. And the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which, after the first few chapters, you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com, and remember, The Watchman's Rattle.
2: I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Sellers' wines? The best place is
5: your computer and go to CaraccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Sellers with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door.
2: And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, I've (laughs) ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party and it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea
6: or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722.
7: Hi, it's MZ. I want to share some really personal information with you. It's a fact that as we age, it becomes more challenging to do certain things that used to be much easier for us to do when we were younger. I'm 63 now, and I can't hop across the beach rocks that I used to do with ease 20 years ago. It's clear to me that at some point in the future, I will probably need help doing things I do with ease by myself today. My wonderful mom Kay is at that point now. At 30 plus years older than me, Kay is still able to give great motherly advice just as always and voice excellent radio spots. But she now needs some assistance doing things around the house and keeping her mind and body engaged. Thank God for Jackie Tucker and her wonderful staff at Care from the Heart in-home services here in Santa Cruz. In business for the past 18 years. Entrusting a loved one to the care of someone outside the family can certainly be a stressful experience. Not with Care from the Heart. Every associate is competent, professional, and sensitive as can be. What sets them apart is the prompt response when care is needed. If you or a loved one needs help, a little or a lot, at home or in an assisted living facility, I strongly recommend Care from the Heart in-home services. Call 476 or online at carefromtheheart.net. Call 476-8316 or carefromtheheart.net. Please tell them MZ sent you. Care from the Heart in-home service will serve your loved one with dignity and respect. 50,000 years ago, it was us against them, and they were the home team. The winner would live into the future. The loser would fade into fossil. Join me, Michael Olson, Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain hosts Penn State anthropology professor Pat Shipman for a conversation about the struggle for survival between homo sapiens and Neanderthals and how dogs helped us win and Neanderthals lose. Join us as we go back 50,000 years for some What's Eating What radio, Saturday 9 a.m. on the Food Chain. Listen and be heard. What
4: day was that?
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and my guest today is former president and CEO of Rockwell Scientific and Teledyne and author of Conquering the Electron, Dr. Derek Chung. And before the break, you were talking about some of the backstories behind how major discoveries came about and some of the bad behaviors which have been associated with these (laughs) advancements. Um, I want to make the point that your book is not a typical history book because you felt that it was important to tell the story the way it really happened, uh, which is not linear. In other words, the way that technology evolved was kind of messy with some aspects racing ahead before other key developments were available. And in many instances, these developments were happening at the exact same time rather than in sequence. So how did you tackle the fact that the history of technology isn't this neat linear narrative?
3: Yeah, that's in real life. When when you have an invention, it's hard to say who is the person who really made it happen. There are a lot of precursors to it. uh, But you have to look at what people have done that, Lead to the impact in in, uh, in our lives. So from that angle, you you can unravel this uh, bundled thing quite clearly. Some people their work is peripheral, but add to the to the collection of ideas, and yet there's one guy come forward, somehow make make it all together and push it through a threshold.
2: Right. So, you know, it's hard to account, as you say, for peripheral contributions. I think what you were looking at was who was the person that brought those peripheral contributions together and actually had the greatest impact on how we work and live and, and also work following that.
3: Correct. So, for example, the uh, Viking chief discovered North America way before Columbus. Yes. But the discovery has no impact in history. So Columbus got all the credit. No, that's correct. Mm-hmm.
2: So now let's move on to the five most important figures in conquering the electron. I, I believe you start with Volta. Uh,
3: yeah, that, that's a tough uh, thing because there are so many great guys who it's hard to say he is not among the five he's, he's, he's in. But I will group into two categories. One are pretty old, uh, kind of uh, historical figures, like Volta, who invented the battery, which started the whole thing which was in the 1800s, so it's 215 years ago. And after the battery, uh, we have Faraday, the grandmaster. He discovered the principle of motors and uh, generators, among many, many other things. And by the way, Faraday never had any formal education. He's a self-taught person. Mm -hmm. And yet, his history is one of the greatest scientists. And after Faraday, you you have uh, Maxwell, is a super genius. He written down, you know, he wrote down four equations, simple equations that describes everything you need to know about electromagnetic waves and beyond. And he, he predicted predicted radio waves before people have ever discovered it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Just a remarkable. And these are the foundation for the electronic technology. And then going to the more modern times, you have uh, uh, Edison. We all know Edison, and he has done great things. He, he's the one who got electricity into homes, which is a huge step forward. And one of what he did is to discover that the, the electric current, can, you can make it flow in one way but not the other, when he was working on his light bulb experiment. Yes. And that has huge consequence. That directly leads to the development of transistor and chips today, that phenomena. Because of that uh, one direction flow property that Edison found, later on, there's a guy called a Forest. He accidentally discovered using three electrodes, he can develop a vacuum tube, vacuum trial. And the vacuum trial can amplify weak signals, can do electronic switching of uh, current, and these are the fundamental properties that lead to the development of radio, radar, television, computers, GPS, all those things with a vacuum triode. okay. So the invention of the vacuum triode is like invention of the wheel to transportation. And people build the first electronic computer called ENIAC using vacuum tubes, 18,000 of them. And that's the first electronic computer. Okay, then the problem with vacuum tubes is they are too costly, they are too bulky, consume too much power, And you need something better, can do the same thing, but much smaller and cheaper. And that leads to the invention of transistor at Bell Labs. There were three scientists there who discovered the transistor technology. And one of them, by the name of William Shockley, is also responsible to start the Silicon Valley.
2: Now, that's an interesting story. I was surprised because uh, I had a career in Silicon Valley myself, and I, I never stopped to think of how Silicon Valley came about. But uh, according to your research, it was William Shockley's desire to work somewhere close to his aging mother.
3: Right. You know, William Shockley was the authority on transistor technology at the time, 1955. He was at Bell Labs. He's the leader of the transistor team. And he wants to get rich. Fame is no longer the most important thing for him. He wants his name to not only appear in those scientific journals, but in Wall Street Journal. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, oh,
2: from scientific got- journals to Wall Street Journal, there we go. There's a, there's right. a, a quick path.
3: Right, and he know in order to start his own transistor company. He need uh, financial backing. He need investor, and he got investment from his old buddy, a guy called. Uh, Beckman, Alan Beckman, the Beckman Instrument. That's uh, another PhD from Caltech. So Beckman is willing to invest a million dollars with Shockley. And Beckman wants Shockley to have his transistor company in Southern California, in Fullerton.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, and Shockley said, no, no, I want to be in Palo Alto. Uh, and he got uh, Frank Turman, the, the Dean of Engineering at that time at Stanford, also came to uh, argue for him. And finally Beckman gave in. So Shockley started his company on at the corner of El Camino Real and San Antonio near Mountain View and Palo Alto.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, is that the and same that- Beckman of Beckman Instruments? Yes. Oh, my goodness. See, see, there was so much interrelationship, as you know, having worked at Fairchild Semiconductor, which became the birth parent of so many startups, that I think what people don't have an appreciation for was how enmeshed and what a fraternity and sorority it was in Silicon Valley. Everyone knew everyone and everyone had worked at effectively the same places at one time or another.
3: Right. It's not planned. It's just serendipity and it's a, it's a very unique system. But all started by Shockley. Now he, he built this company with Beckman's money and he tried to recruit his colleagues from the old Bell Lab. <laughs> None of them would join him because he's a very hard guy to work with. So <laughs> Shockley decided to recruit young people. So he recruited all over the country and find some outstanding young people. And they're, they're all willing to work for him because he's the big man. And among them, there were eight people. Uh, all outstanding, tremendous people. And later they decide to betray him, in a way,
4: and start their own
2: company. Well, now, we'll we'll get to that on the other side of our commercial break. Unfortunately, we have to take a hard break here, but let's find out about the eight people that betrayed Shockley after uh, he was able to bring them into his company. We're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Costa Report. Have you checked out
1: The Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog. Bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't.
8: Wake up to the best little road race in California. Hello race fans, K.O. here. Join me three-time Wharf to Wharf champion Barbacosta and spotter Patricia Souza this Sunday at 8 a.m. in KSEO's Tuckmobile for the 42nd annual running of the Wharf to Wharf race. Ride with us as we zip along in front of those long-legged Kenyans with start-to-finish coverage. We'll describe all the give and take as the runner's jockey for position. The bands lift the fog with their great sounds, and the spectators shout encouragement to runners as they race for the finish line in Capitola. The 2015 Wharf to Wharf is on Sunday at 8 a.m., and it's brought to you in part by...
1: Lloyd's Tire and Auto Care beats club and chain store prices on Michelin and other top brands every day. Lloyd's is now your one-stop shop for complete car care, so next time you need tires, scheduled maintenance, or diagnosis and repair, think Lloyd's Tire and Auto Care on River Street in Santa Cruz.
6: Square Trade does not cover lost or stolen items. Savings based on two-year iPhone plan with one claim compared to assuring total equipment coverage as of April 10, 2015. Don't overpay for phone insurance. Save with Square Trade Phone Protection instead. Phone insurance from Verizon, Sprint, or other wireless carriers can cost you as much as $11 every month, plus up to $199 deductible when you break your phone. Square Trade Phone Protection is less than $5 a month. We can save you over $240. Start saving with Square Trade now. Visit SquareTrade.com. That's SquareTrade.com. We've all heard the term baby boomer referring to those born from 1946 to 1964. There are an estimated 80 million baby boomers with the first wave hitting the Social Security and Medicare systems in recent years with more to follow. Many healthcare experts are predicting epidemics of Alzheimer's, type 2 diabetes, heart disease and cancer among this group. However, these impending epidemics can be averted, as there is a new group emerging. This group we call the Baby Bloomers, because despite their chronological age, they are still physically fit, active, working, and playing. They've heard Dr. Wallach's message regarding diet, lifestyle, and nutritional supplementation. So while many around them diminish in health and vitality, they are blossoming and blooming into vibrant, healthy, on-the-go people. Wouldn't you rather be a longevity baby bloomer? For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888-245-0300. That's 888-245-0300. Ed Robertson inviting you to join us for the next edition of TV Confidential. Sunday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. here on KSCO AM 1080 in Santa Cruz. Our guests will include Emmy Award-winning writer and producer Jim Magon. That's TV Confidential every Sunday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on AM 1080 KSCO. Listen and be heard. Mm -hmm.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Dr. Derek Chung, who is just explaining that Shockley, who was responsible for the very beginnings of Silicon Valley, was a difficult fellow to work with and and finally found eight young people to join his early venture who ended up betraying him. Is that right, Dr. Chung?
3: Yeah, you can not say it that way, uh, because Shockley is such a Bad boss to work for. Not only his style, his paranoid. he will conduct lie detector tests on his employees. Uh, but also, he's not very good businessman. Uh, even though he's working on transistor, he, he feels that somebody else is already ahead in transistor technology, so he has to do something different. So that makes the eight young engineers very, very concerned. And they cannot talk with their boss, so they decide to skip uh, his their boss and go to the investor to the uh, to the boss directly. That's Beckman, and that typically is a no-no, right? <laughs>
2: right. They went to and the person who was controlling the money that Shockley depended on.
3: That's right. And they told uh, Beckman, said, "Hey, please uh, get this guy out of here. Send him to university, or or uh, uh, don't let him manage us. We can run the company."
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And But Beckman has made a commitment to Shockley. At that time he was a Nobel Prize winner, the inventor of the transistor, he's a he's such an authoritative figure. He cannot do that. So Beckman sided with Shockley and then pretty much forced the eight guys they have to leave. So they decide to leave together and find uh find jobs together. And that comes in another interesting person. His name is uh, um, the the new guy coming in is a banker from Wall Street, Mm -hmm. and he's an investor, a young investor. And he described to them that, hey, you guys don't need to look for a job together. Why don't you get some investment and start your own company? You'll be the owner yourself. So that was the beginning of uh, uh, venture capital. System
2: in uh, in Silicon Valley. That's right. Bankers, actually, there wasn't any venture capital, uh, so to speak. There were really bankers who came in and said, it doesn't make any sense for you to split the team up and go your separate ways. Uh, Why don't we finance a a small venture and see how you do?
3: Yeah. And uh, the banker was able to find a rich guy who is interested in technology to put in one and a half million dollars. To start, fair semi, uh, a semiconductor. Yes. And In this arrangement, the eight guys each has to put up five hundred dollars of their own money as kind of a spin in the pot, and each of them will get some equity. You know, eight of them will share ten percent of the company. And later on, when they, when the company bought back their share, each of them make two hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> in in yeah, three years.
2: Uh, okay, but in those days, that was a lot of money.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of money. That
2: was a lot of money. So
3: that's, a, that's kind of the beginning of the Silicon Valley culture. But I have to, you, you mentioned about the heroes of uh, electronics. Out of the eight, there are two very well-known one, or maybe more than two. One is Robert Noyce, Bob Noyce. Yes. And the other is uh, Gordon Moore, the Moore's Law. And the third person is Jim Kleiner, Kleiner Perkins, the venture capital company in the Valley. Yes, and so so all those eight people have done tremendous things. But Rob Robert Noyce, Bob Noyce, in particular, he is the one who built Fairchild Semiconductor, built Intel, president of the Semiconductor Industry Association. He he epitomizes uh, the spirit of Silicon Valley. And technically, he's very good. Also, he's the one who invented the chips, microchips, the integrated circuit. When you connect all the transistors together, yes. To form a, uh, yeah. So,
2: Bob- and and I would like to add that Bob Noyce is not one of your scoundrels. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was an honorable scientist and inventor, and uh, your book also includes some examples of that as well. Now, I'd like to move on. You you recently awarded your uh, Gold, Silver, Bronze, and Honorable Mention Awards for the top innovations of 2014. So, uh, And I don't want to let you go without talking about those awards. So working backwards, the top award for 2014 goes to Touch-Free Controls. Tell us about that.
3: Uh, they are beginning to see the uh, technology trend of building chips which can sense the brainwaves, and uh, people are already using that to control artificial limbs and all that. I I think something the chip will pick up your brainwaves and actuate the uh, the mechanism. So I think we'll begin to see more and more of these kind of things. Uh, you can use your Brain to control so your display in an electronic game, or do things uh, even more meaningful. So you begin to sense your, your thinking.
2: And that and that is a uh, and that is a significant uh, sea change for technology and uh, and rightly so. You give it your top award. Uh, for 2014 in terms of yeah. affecting social change business uh, on all fronts um,
3: yeah can you can you imagine about that intrusion into privacy <laughs>
2: yeah I, I can I don't know how we we prevent uh, an intrusion into privacy when uh, when machines can sense what we're thinking. Uh, I, I know people that can't tell what other people are thinking, so uh, that's that's going to be uh, quite a radical change. Now, the Silver Award went to something called Augmented Reality.
3: Yeah, Augmented Reality, which the Google Glass has tried to, to uh, take advantage of. Augmented Reality is when you look at the reality around you, and you can superimpose information you extract from a database that's related to the, uh, the physical world you're looking at, and display that to you. So, for example, if I look at you through this glass, and the computer will, will uh, retrieve data about you. So while I look at you, all your data I can see also.
4: Yes,
2: I, I just recently saw, um, an application where a person was walking through a department store and they looked at a sweater and the price of the sweater, the sizes and the colors of the sweater were, uh, were sh- showed up in the, in the eyeglasses they were wearing. Um, and so that's part of augmented reality where you're getting more information at the time in real time as you're walking through reality.
3: Right. When you can look at the building downtown and tell us right away what the address of that is.
4: Yes. I look into a
3: box and you can see below the box how everything is arranged. So it's kind of uh, superimposed computer data with the real thing that you're looking at. That adds tremendous
2: amount of information to what you're doing. Yes, and that's going to have a big effect. I just wonder how distracting it was. I noticed when I had these glasses on, I wasn't watching where I was walking.
3: Yeah, you're right. (laughs) The the technology is not quite done yet, quite quite right yet, but the essence of uh, combining those two uh, data together is uh, is the direction that will continue to move. Actually, we all used to, when you watch football games, you see the first first down lines, the also kind of red, uh, black lines, which you cannot see when you watch the game itself in real life. All these are superimposed by the uh, camera.
4: The, That's right.
3: The TV station.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to help us understand the game better. And augmented reality is, uh, is uh, similar as well. Uh, I just, uh, as an evolutionary biologist, uh, by training uh, I'm just wondering how quickly humans can adapt. You know, I I certainly can't wear those glasses while I'm driving if I'm a hazard walking through a store while I'm looking at yeah. the information that's in the glasses. So it's going to be interesting to see how we physiologically adapt to these augmented uh, realities and what kinds of new policies and rules and regulations uh, are going to come up. Um, now we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back after these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report.
9: Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes. From salads to desserts, and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next
8: berrylicious dish. The sun is high in the sky, which means
10: it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition.
1: Fisherman RV Service Center is now offering 20% off its axle service for your boat trailer, a must-do every two years or 5,000 miles.
10: Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving
5: locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home. Not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit
9: coastpapersupplyinc.com. A Member of Think Local First. Join me for It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland, Saturday evening, 8 till 10. My in depth arts interview is with William Finnegan, award winning literary journalist and narrative non fiction author. His new book is Barbarian Days A Surfing Life. And I go out and about for questions that matter to interview people on the street about this week's topic Whose country is America? Join me Saturday evening, 8 to 10, on AM 1080 or KSCO.com live stream.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today our guest is Dr. Derek Chung, scientist, former CEO and president of Rockwell Scientific and Teledyne, and author of Conquering the Electron. Now, uh, Dr. Chung, you gave your bronze award for the most important innovation of 2014 to drone technology. Is that right?
3: In robotics in general, drone mm-hmm. being one way of uh, kind of
4: realize that.
2: And, uh, and why, why uh, call out drones at this particular time? Is it the commercial application from military to commercial that, is, uh, that interested you?
3: Yes, I think that's a very good to some of uh, do things without a human in the loop,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, including drive, driverless cars and all that. And the way, the reason it can be done is because of the power of microelectronics. The microprocessors are getting smaller, but more and more powerful and cheaper. So you can allow to implement a lot of the clever algorithms in a very cost-effective way, and that opens up, that enables so many things that a machine can actually do better than human, like a drone.
2: It's very interesting that these the smart, system. yeah, these smart algorithms are have almost been the necessary precursor to artificial intelligence. It's it's almost as though in the last 30 years we tried to jump a step in terms of AI. And now we're kind of coming back and doing the heavy lifting, which is to allow algorithms to uh, work in conjunction with automation. And now that's creating a, a, a easier platform or easier transition into artificial intelligence. Would you agree?
3: Yes, that's exactly right. Because some of the algorithms takes a lot of computing power to implement. Yes. In the past, you cannot carry a big, big computer to do that. But now you can do that in a tiny chip, which costs very little. So, all of a sudden, all of those algorithms can be implemented in a practical way, and that opens up the whole field.
2: Yeah, that's what I meant about uh, the history of technology is messy. Uh, sometimes uh, certain air aspects get ahead of other developments that are necessary, in much the same way, for example, that Charles Darwin discovered the theory of evolution before Gregor Mendel uh, discovered the mechanism by which. Uh, evolution occurred. These things don't happen in the sequence that they're needed <laughs> all the time, which makes uh, writing a history book kind of challenging.
3: Yes, oh. now actually, that one big example is the big data. You can see patterns of things, but before you understand why, but it's there.
4: Yes,
2: absolutely. Now, I I, I have a question to ask you. Um, what? And I and I want to be sure I get to this before we run out of time today. Um, I'd like to know if your research uncovered anything about the role economics and regulations play in encouraging innovation. There are a lot of people that believe that there are certain conditions which inhibit or spur innovation. Did you see any evidence of that in your research?
3: Absolutely. Uh, For example, recently the oil price dropped so much, and I think it's a very bad thing for uh, all the research on alternative energy. And energy efficiency. And it repeats many times in history. When you begin to do some research, all of a sudden, some regulation, some financial condition change, Then everything stopped, and to be only to be restarted 10, 15 years later.
2: Is that because those markets are driven by uh, economics and not necessarily by, you know, what is better for the environment or might be better for the uh, economy of a particular country?
3: Um, I think economy still comes number one among all the factors. Mm-hmm. For example, not everybody have to car, build fuel-efficient cars uh, when the gas price is expensive. When, when it gets, the price drop, people don't care anymore and lose interest.
2: And yet the innovators that you write about, they, outside of a couple that, you know, Shockley as an example, but uh, the innovators you write about, they didn't seem so driven by wealth or money. They, didn't, they, they seemed like the David Packards of the world, the Bob Noyces of the world, regardless if there was an economic benefit or not, they seemed driven by the pure joy of innovation.
3: Exactly. Uh, what I mean is, for example, nowadays, a lot of the research is based on funding from federal government you know, and other university research, basically. So if the, there's a sudden change of policy, then the amount of resources available Windows and number of people, number of projects, Will be decreased, and yes. that has a negative impact. Yes,
2: it has a negative it's impact limited. on funding. Yeah, it has a negative impact on venture funding, yeah. on uh, IPOs, on every aspect of building a business. But I'm wondering, does it really impact a real innovator, a true scientist? How much no. does do economics impact the people who uh, strive for making a scientific breakthrough or discovery?
3: I think only statistically there may be less number of people, that kind of people involved, engaged in this kind of research. But those who are doing it, there will be no impact.
2: Now, how about those people who worry that, uh, discovery and uh, the pursuit of breakthroughs has become so complicated that a single person can't do it anymore. Uh, you see a lot of new papers being published where there are 40 names associated with the, p- the publication. Uh, you rarely see anything with a single name or one or two names anymore.
3: But the real thing is whenever there's a breakthrough, there's still a key idea that make it happen. The rest is just supporting. So whoever that conceived that nugget of the whole uh, new invention is still very much the driver. You you need a lot of people to implement that or build a system together. Uh, The system that's unique is still based on one or two ideas. Those ideas typically don't come from a group of uh, committee members. They come from individuals.
2: So the vision itself Comes from an individual, but the implementation and bringing it to reality requires a, a large group of support and peripheral contributors.
3: Right. When you have a group of people work together, it's a kind of consensus by committee. You end up with very mediocre solutions. You need an individual, far guy. He can be wrong, but when he's right, and it across, you know, it's really something impactful. It's like yeah. a Steve Jobs type of thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: right? Yes. Now, now. lastly, do you have a website where listeners can go today to get more information about your work and also about the book?
3: No, I don't have one
4: yet. But you don't gonna-
2: ha- Here you are a scientist on the bleeding, the <laughs> cusp of technology, and you do not have a website. Uh, yes. Well, let me say this. Your book is available on Amazon.com. So for listeners today, they'd like to get more information and read some of the reviews, uh, which are outstanding, by the way. They can go to Amazon.com. The name of the book is Conquering the Electron. And that is all the time we have today. But I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Chung, for, uh, for your research and, um, and explaining to us how we've come to depend so much on technology. I hope listeners will go out and run out and grab a copy of this book. It's absolutely fascinating. Thank you for taking time to be with us today, Mr. Chairman. Thank you,
3: Rebecca, for having me. It's very enjoyable.
2: If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Dr. Derek Chung, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you miss the full interview with Dr. Chung or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, Voice America, and our YouTube channel. We're all over the internet. And while you're at our website, take a moment to check out the videos, the blogs, articles, and commentary by folks you know, uh, people like Richard Branson and Trudy Styler, Donald Trump, E.O. Wilson. Our web team does a fantastic job of keeping the website chocked full of current content, including a calendar which shows where I'll be speaking in your area and, uh, and when you can see me live. So be sure to click on the pull-down menus at the top of the homepage at RebeccaCosta.com. It's easy to remember. It's MyName.com. And while you're enjoying all the information that they've got posted on the website, be sure you pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Just click on the image of the book, and it'll take you right over to an ordering page. Uh, The Watchman's Rattle is the only book that shows how complexity, over-regulation, more data than at any other time in human history has produced gridlock and an alarming confusion between empirical facts and unproven beliefs. So get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. My guest next week has asked us to keep his appearance under wraps for a few days for reasons I have yet to get to the bottom of. I, I've been told that we have permission to announce his interview in the next two or three days, and and he's going to tell us the reason he asked us to keep the interview confidential. So uh, I, I hope he does that. So please check your local station to find out who's on deck one week from today, and we'll see you right back here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report.